Coming to you from ACOG's annual scientific meeting in San Francisco, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz for ReachMD, and I'm joined by Dr. Hannah Bloomfield. She's chief of research at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center and a professor of medicine at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Bloomfield, welcome to you. Thank you. So, Dr. Bloomfield, you were delivering a lecture at ACOG titled, Should Annual Routine Pelvic Examinations Go the Way of the Dinosaurs? And like we talked offline before, you had me at dinosaurs. I'm really curious about this subject. But before we venture into the question and try to address it, which I imagine has a myriad of answers, maybe not, maybe it's simply yes or no, I'd be curious as to what got you interested in the question and how you started examining it. Well, the American College of Physicians, which is the major internal medicine group for physicians, and the Department of Veterans Affairs were interested in finding out what the value of the public examination is. So they asked our group to conduct a systematic review on the topic. So that means examining all the literature and trying to find out what the benefits, what the harms, and not, not anything about the cost, but just the benefits and harms of the pelvic examination in asymptomatic, average-risk women. So this is not people who are bleeding. This is not women who have a strong family history of something gynecologic. This is just asymptomatic, average-risk women. Should they come in for routine pelvic examinations if they aren't due, for example, for cervical cancer screening, which is now, almost everybody agrees, only required every three years? So I'm part of this group that does these systematic reviews, and I thought, well, that would be an interesting topic. I'm a woman. I don't like them. Let's see what the literature shows. Right. And this has been a perennial question, has it not? This has been a question that has come up, but only more recently have people from the medical profession started creating more distinct recommendations on it. Well, I think it really more has to do with questioning everything that we've always done routinely. So now the American College of, I think it's the American Board of Internal Medicine actually has this thing called the Choosing Wisely campaign. And they're trying to say, what are the things that are high-value care and what's low-value care? Just because we've been doing something for hundreds of years doesn't mean that it's really benefiting patients. So I think that's really where this sort of thing comes from, is let's question everything we do routinely, everything we were ever taught to do, everything that we've been doing for decades, and say, does it really benefit patients? And, of course, outside of the experiential aspect of, of the pelvic exam, which, as you said, you know, it's not, it's not enjoyed universally, we'll put it that way, were there other ramifications or consequences of getting routine pelvic examinations that could have downstream effects on the patient, such as potential false positive things being caught? What else was, was sort of on the board as to why this needs to be reexamined? Well, exactly, the harms. And the harms we basically categorized as physical harms from the actual pelvic exam itself, and there's really not a lot to suggest that. The second one would be psychological harms from the pelvic examination, and there was a fair amount of not so great data, but still there was data on probably around 15,000 women, survey data, about anxiety, pain, fear, those kinds of things. So that's a downside to having a pelvic examination. If there's no benefit, then you're just putting yourself through something that makes you anxious, ashamed sometimes, is sometimes painful for some women. For women who've had sexual trauma in the past, it can be very painful and very psychologically problematic. And then what you alluded to before, that the big thing is this, this sort of issue of false positives. Now, there's no data on that, but we know sort of by definition that any time you do a test, 
there's a possibility that the test comes back positive, and therefore you feel like, okay, now we have to do another test and another test and another test. And it turns out that pelvic examinations in routine asymptomatic women probably lead to some kind of surgical intervention in about 1% of people. So here you are, you're asymptomatic, you're average risk, you're just going in for this exam, and the doctor feels something, and he's not sure, or she's not sure, and then maybe you get an ultrasound, and then maybe you get something else, and you end up being on the table and having an exploratory laparotomy. And there's clearly evidence that that happens, and that's not a, a good side effect of an exam, unless we feel that we're really getting some benefit out of doing this in asymptomatic average women every year or every two years. Right. A question that hadn't truly been posed. What is the clear benefit here? But as far as the harms go, specifically the last that you just mentioned, I'm surprised that there's a lack of data in that regard because of all the measures that you talked about, from the experiential to the psychological trauma, the physical potential trauma, and then the false positives. It seems like the false positives would be the easiest to track or the easiest to create a database for. Why is there such a lack of data? Well, that's a good question. I don't know why there's a lack of data, but there is a little bit, and the editorial that accompanied the publication of our systematic review in Annals of Internal Medicine in July of last year, the editorial was written by an obstetrician gynecologist, Dr. George Sawaya, and he basically said, we need to get some evidence out there. If we as obstetricians, gynecologists feel that this is an important exam to do, we need to start doing the studies that are showing what the benefits are. So it's clearly recognized that there's an absence. There's, no real, there's not a lot of evidence of bad stuff, but there's an absence of evidence of good stuff. So how you proceed in that situation is sometimes complicated and depends on, on your perspective and on your training and on your livelihood, perhaps. And how was that systematic review received when it was put out there in the journal? Um, well, it was received, it got a lot of press. It was the subject of about 1,200 newspaper articles. And guilty as charged on our end. We were interested in that you, as well. Guilty as charged, and um, I don't know, there's some company that sort of estimates based on how many press reports, how many people it reached. I don't know what that number, what that that is, but it said that this probably reached 18 million people, so apparently a lot. Um, what was your original question? My, my original question to you is, how was it received by the public? Oh, was, it, okay. was it a varied response, or was, did was the health community come down in a certain light? So ACOG came down and said, we still agree with our recommendation, which is for an annual routine pelvic exam in asymptomatic average women, and that's what I'm going to be debating with one of the ACOG physicians today, this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So now what they've published, what they've said is their rationale for wanting to do it is that it helps establish relationships between women. Sometimes women only open up, excuse the expression, only open up and talk about problems during the pelvic exam. And, you know, I just don't know if those are reasons for doing a pelvic exam that a woman would find compelling, you know. So there haven't really, ACOG kind of agrees with us that there isn't any evidence. So they're talking a little bit about the softer stuff, and it's really unclear whether those kinds of things are worth the potential harm. So that's where, that's where, that's the crux of the debate. That's fascinating. So in the lack of clear evidence that such an exam has measurable benefits to the patient, 
It is unclear as to how to proceed right now. There's a traditional sect, and then there's the more progressive sect. A, that's re questioning, as you're saying, questioning whether there is actually utility and value in this. Going with the devil's advocate, or you know, forgive my expression because I, I don't want to put them in a negative light, but for those that still believe uh, that this is an important part of the clinical medical experience, the patient tracking experience, the relationship experience, where do you think that, that argument stems from? Do you think that it has weight? Do you think that there is a reason for potentially siding with that, even though you yourself are going to be debating on the other side? Well, I think really it comes down to, I think everything that, I think establishing relationships with patients is important. I'm a primary care physician. I think longitudinal care is important. Um, so we're not really, we aren't saying that the well woman visit, the annual well woman visit shouldn't occur or at least that's not what we said in this thing. We just said the pelvic examination is probably, probably leads to more harm than benefit. So the question is, can't you, if you learn how to take a good history, if you establish a good relationship, if you counsel about obesity and about blood pressure and about all the things, about smoking and various things, you can, that's all part of a well-woman visit. Why do you have to throw in the pelvic examination? And some people will say, frankly, and this was letters to the editor, in the Annals of Internal Medicine to our, our systematic review is, well, you don't get paid for it. Mm. That's a social problem. That's a problem we have here. But are you willing to say to your woman patient, you know, I really don't think this is going to benefit you, but I can't get paid for this visit, for us talking about your health and doing this well-woman visit, or at least I'm not going to get paid as much if I don't throw in this pelvic exam. And that, to me, sadly, makes more intuitive sense as to why there would be a compelling reason. Because I could imagine another counter-argument saying, you know what, without the pelvic exam, we might lose uh, patient adherence to coming in. They, they might feel for some reason, even though they dislike the pelvic exam, that that is a defined reason why they would come in, and they come in regularly for it, and that's what we have set up as sort of a, an indoctrined practice. But... I'm not sure that that carries an enormous amount of weight either. You, from your perspective as a primary care provider, what are you seeing? I mean, well, I practice in the VA, and I only see men because we have specialized women's clinics, so I can't talk from my own personal experience. But again, I think that's important. That's a testable hypothesis. Maybe that's right, but that gets back to the whole issue of if you really think that there's a good rationale for doing this, you should study it. No one studied it. So, sure, there are arguments to be made and hypotheses to be put out there. But until you have some evidence, I say, as a woman, I don't want to go for this exam. And I don't think that I should be pushing this on anybody if it's just a hypothesis that we think is the only thing that will get a woman in there. Well, maybe we need to find different ways and, and different methods to communicate that aren't as harmful, embarrassing, and sometimes painful for people to get them in here. Maybe we need to find other ways to take a history. Maybe we need to teach our residents how to take a history that apparently they feel they can only take during the process of a pelvic exam. just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It does seem a little counterintuitive. Yeah. What about surveys of the patient population that you observed as part of your systematic review? Were there any surveys that assessed whether patients would want to have the pelvic exam removed as part of their well checks and whether they would continue going to, to well checks without them? No. 
Now, we might have missed surveys like that, although I don't think we did, because we were specifically looking for surveys that were trying to enumerate the harms of a pelvic examination. But I feel like we did a pretty broad search and probably would have come across those surveys. It's certainly anecdotally true that some women feel, you know, that's why I go in. But maybe that's because they don't know that they don't need to. I mean, again, it's all, I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm just saying that we need to study all those hypotheses more if we want, if that's the rationale for doing something like this on a regular basis to millions of women, some of who are going to end up with false positives and go under the knife for it. Right. Sometimes raising the question is more important than trying to raise the answer right off the Mm -hmm, bat. mm -hmm. So moving forward, as you look ahead here, do you see this as a practice that you think is eventually going to become obsolete? Or do you think it's something that the medical profession is going to cling on to either for financial reasons or clinical care reasons or relationship reasons or otherwise? I think it's very hard to change things. Very, very hard. As, as internists taking care of men, we've had to do a 90-degree turn on whether we're going to check for prostate cancer. And a lot of people just don't let go of it. It's very counterintuitive to say we're all about earlier is better, you know, prevention, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and all that. So it's hard for people to get the message for physicians and patients alike that sometimes finding something early is not good and leads to more harm than benefit. So I'm not very optimistic. <laughs> and it's an important <laughs> that our part paper will make a big difference. <laughs> well, still, we can't overlook the fact that your paper did generate, as you put it, 18 million views. So certainly the audience is out there. The reception is, whether positive or negative, is meaningful. Well, I did count the 180 New York Times. The New York Times post, there were all the comments on that. I don't know what you call it just comments on the New York Times thing. There were about 180 of them, and they were pretty much evenly divided between rah-rah versus, I don't care, I got my ovarian cancer diagnosed that way, and I'm going to continue getting my pelvic exams. It was pretty evenly split in that non-scientific survey of uh, responses that I did. Which only, to me, supports the fact that the question should be raised, if it's evenly split. Even if it weren't, the question should be raised, and I applaud you for doing so. Thank you. (laughs) I've been speaking with Dr. Hannah Bloomfield. She's Chief of Research at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center and Professor of Medicine at the University of Minnesota. We've been talking about the pelvic examination and whether it should go the way of the dinosaur. Again, Dr. Bloomfield, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. If you've missed this or any other episode on ReachMD, do visit ReachMD.com, upload, download, comment, do all of that good stuff, and we will talk to you soon.